All right, hello and welcome to another amazing, exciting encounter adventure. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the October 31st lesson, and that's going to be 1 Kings 5-8, through 8, Solomon to the Divided Kingdom. We're really going to focus on the building of the temple again. We did that last fall, but it's a really important uh, part of the narrative of God's redemption, right? The temple uh, is a large symbol in what God is, is doing in the life of the Hebrews and in the world. And so that's where we're going to start. But before we get there, I wanted to make sure we can sell encounters because um, that's important to me. Uh, so if you go to cpcmc.org forward slash encounter helps, uh, you'll come to this page. This is from last week. And this page will have the this video. It'll have a link to just the, if you just want to get this on a podcast and not have to see my pretty face, uh, it has some extra study helps uh, that we'll talk about, you know, some more, you know, a little deeper in the lessons each week. And then just general resources that come out of the lessons. So like last week, it was, uh, what's the meaning of a man looks at the outward appearance or so on and so forth. I'll link to other uh, podcast or other things that I find helpful. It'll have a link to Evotions so you can hit your daily devotion every morning. It'll have the memory verse of the week and then the highlighted discussion of the week. But then right here at the bottom left of the page uh, you'll have an, what's the encounter email sign up. And basically it's the same information but it'll just go to your um, email every Tuesday. Um, so you it, by Tuesday, at least by Tuesday. I try to do these on Monday, but sometimes life gets in the way and I have to do them on Tuesday. But So cpcmc.org forward slash encounter helps. You can sign up right there. Um, if you're not um, a Cumberland Presbyterian, uh, you don't need to put that church on there. I just like to uh, put that on there. Then from there, well, let me do that again. Um, if you are interested in uh, ordering the um, encounter uh, digital download you'll have this little button and this thing you can go right there and uh, it will take you to uh, the ministry council site and directly to the download for the quarter next week we'll have the winter one on there so you'll be able to buy that but if you wanted to get this uh, you just click those buttons um, the other way you can get there cpcmc.org forward slash encounter and then that will also have this email sign up page and then it also have a link to the digital download of the encounter if you wanted to get the paper copies go to cpcmc.org forward slash store you don't have to put in the hyphen to just store go to cp curriculum encounter and then printed copies and you'll be able to find like this is fall 2021, it's the current quarter. Again, next week we'll have the winter one up there. And then I wanted to show you one more thing. Go to Amazon.com, type in Winter Encounter Study, Winter Encounter Bible Study, or Winter Encounter Study, whatever you want to do. Search for that. It will pop up. And you can go there. And you can download that. Also, you can find this this current quarter uh, for the Kindle app right there too. So, anyway, all right. So, good there. All right. So, specifically for today, uh, again, October thirty first. It's First Kings five through eight and Solomon. 
the prayer for illumination. Guide us, Lord, in the direction you would have us go. Illumine our hearts with a deeper awareness of your present, of your precious word, and give us the grace to love you more and serve you better in the place where you have placed us. Amen. And then our memory verse. Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. I have built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell forever. And that's 1 Kings uh, 8, 12 through 13. So that brings us into uh, the lesson itself and the introduction. Uh, Derek has highlighted the Bible uh, Projects video about the temple. I highly recommend that even if you do not show it in your class, watch that, take some notes, uh, and share that with your class because it's uh, really important. Uh, they hit the nail on the head, so to speak, I think. Um, it, the, the temple is all about the presence of God in the life of the Hebrew folks and ultimately about uh, the presence of God in the world and we'll get there. But by way of introduction, when you're talking about this lesson and you're talking about the temple, there's two things that need to kind of keep in your mind and we've talked about them before. But first is typology. Again, it's a way of understanding the scripture. The temple becomes a type of Christ. And we'll talk about that uh, as we go through. And then the second uh, is the symbolism. Just simple symbolism of what, what the temple stands for, what it means. But those are two really, really important things. So far as typology concerns, this is one that's developed. It's not just the temple. So first you get the, the, the Garden of Eden right where uh, God is king God is the master of the universe the Almighty and then Adam and Eve are placed in the garden to tend and work the garden and so garden of, the Garden of Eden is the earthly temple where humans walk with God and they work uh, and and they praise and worship and everything is geared toward human flourishing and, and fellowship with God and the glorification of God. Then you have the fall. Fast forward, you get the tabernacle. The tabernacle becomes this mobile Eden. It's a reminder of what, what was and then also what will be. But in the tabernacle, you have this, again, mobile temple that goes with the people. So here's the way you think about it. In the wilderness, the, the people had this intense awareness of God sometimes, that God was with them, the, you know, the cloud, of, cloud uh, during the day and the fire by night, and Moses and, and the, the tabernacle was there. The, there was this immense and intense presence of God. But then there were also times in which God seemed very far away. So that's the typology, is that you're learning that God is always around, but not necessarily in that special way that you feel all the time. So God is both imminent and transcendent. And this tabernacle follows the people. But at the same time, when the people are disobedient, it feels as though God's far away. And then, fast forward the story more, a more permanent place. You get this temple, which is the prettiest building, the most exalted building in Jerusalem, finally. Uh, and it, 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 it says, this is the center of your life, no matter where you are. <laughs> That's the center of your life uh, and your spiritual life, that God dwells there. And so your attention is toward 
Jerusalem. You know, it's a phrase you might hear. You know, you, you lift up your eyes into the hills. Uh, it's this sense in which that temple is is the uh, the symbol of God's presence in our lives. Then fast forward further, right? And you get Jesus. And Jesus' body is the temple. He is the temple. Okay? So, like, God dwells in Christ on this earth, healing people, teaching, and prophesying, and these kinds of things. And so, then fast forward just a wee bit, and then the church becomes the body of Christ in the world. And so, you and I as individuals become living stones in which we revert almost back to the tabernacle, right? To where we're mobile, little mobile mini temples in the world where God resides. And we do the work of Christ, the work of the temple, the real true temple, if you will. Um, so anyway, uh, so the typology there is the presence of God in the priesthood of, of believers, if you will. Uh, so it teaches us how to think about that, that we are temples ourselves. And then uh, the second thing then would be the symbolism of things. Symbolism is important no matter what our uh, no matter what our uh, 21st century minds might tell us. Uh, even in the church, sometimes we reject symbolism, but symbolism is very important, very very important. And I'll, I'll show you just in in current days terms. If you're um, someone who is very social justice oriented, and you see on the news like um, the different types of flags that are created for social movements, or if you see people kneeling for the flag or for the you know national anthem or whatnot, those are symbols, and they provoke in you either a sense of, of prophet-like righteousness. Uh, but if you're on maybe more of the conservative side, think about statues. Like if you don't think symbolism important, why then does it matter if you know Christopher Columbus comes down? And so I don't care about your politics, but the point being is, is that symbolism is deeply important and it's deeply meaningful and it, symbolism can spur you on um, to act in certain ways. Uh, so essentially, uh, symbolism simply portrays the idealized state, like the whatever you think is super important, whatever humans think are super important, symbols are created to say this is the ideal. Right? And this is what we're reaching toward. And they become more than just a flag, or they become more than just a statue. They, they become more than just ritual. Right? It, it becomes very important. All right, so that's what we think about when we think about the temple. It's the typology and the symbology. And I promise this might act like it's going to go a real long time today, but it's not. Um, so in the Exploring the Scripture section, uh, I think Derek is right to bring this up. All of this lesson is really in the backdrop of God's covenant. So in Jeremiah 32, 38, uh, you read, They shall be my people, and I will be their God. That's the goal, right? And also the background is, is that uh, the thing that gets in the way of that promise of us being God's people and God being our God is sin. It's the ultimate problem. It breaks apart both the fellowship we have with God and also the fellowship we have with one another. Uh, in the Garden of Eden, the original temple, Adam and Eve were sent away. And so then the rest of the story is how Adam and Eve, human beings, get back to uh, that living, vital relationship with God. The tabernacle becomes a symbol and a type of uh, God's presence. Uh, it's a symbol of what was. 
and also a symbol of what will be. We've talked about that before. So even as the Hebrews were coming out of Egypt to the Promised Land, they kept this idealized version of, of the Garden of Eden that they don't have, but they carried it with them. And that was what they were supposed to think. You're going away from God, back to God. So the way the temples were set up, or the tabernacle, um, in the Garden of Eden story, Adam and Eve were banished to the east, east of Eden. And so it was always set up to where you went from the east to the west, and you got to the Holy of Holies, right? So it was the symbolism of journey. Away from God is where you're banished, and now you're coming back toward God. And so that was what the tabernacle did. And no matter where the people were, God's presence was with them which is what we find the ultimate fulfillment in Solomon's temple, at least at the time. Ultimate fulfillment is us as the church, but we'll get there. Um, last week, you know, we talked about Israel wanting to be like everybody else. They wanted a king, uh, and God had to console Samuel and, and say, Samuel, it's not you that re they're rejecting, it's me they're rejecting. And we find that if you see the background of the story, it's David who originally wants to build the temple. And the way the story presents itself is David is just, you know, daydreaming, meditating, loving on God or whatnot. And then he, he's like, oh, why am I living in a house of cedar when, the, when God is dwelling in this tent or the Ark of the Covenant's in this tent? That doesn't seem right, but, but that's the way we do as human beings. We elevate what's most important to us. And so for the Israelites who said we want to be like everybody else, all the attention went to the kingdom, the palace, and the, and the need for a king and a monarch and all the flourishings that go to that. And then her spiritual life, their spiritual life was in a tent. And so David finally realized, eh, maybe we've got our priorities in the wrong spot. <clears throat> so, again, symbolism is important. At the time of our last lesson... The Israelites wanted to be like everybody else, so you had to have a king with a kingdom and a palace. So David reverses that a little bit. Um, but David's not allowed to build the temple because he was a man of war. had too much blood on his hands. So God said, you can design it, you can do whatever, but it's going to be your son who ultimately builds the temple for me. And so um, Solomon builds the temple. You see that the design of the temple is meant to reflect the Garden of Eden. Uh, with the, you know, the seven, the candlesticks with the seven arms, um, meant to be trees, the pomegranates on the side, the gold. Anyway, it's supposed to reflect the presence of God in the midst of God's people. And I would encourage you to look at how the priests are commanded to work the temple. It's the same language that you get when God commands Adam and Eve to work the garden. There's this sense in which the temple is, again, a reflection of the Garden of Eden. It is both a, a looking back, but also a looking forward. Like, this is the way it's going to be when God's temple um, has its influence throughout the world. And that, that's, that was the hope of the temple. You can read that in uh, 1 Kings 7 when Solomon has a dedicatory prayer. It, it was meant not just for the Jews. It was for all nations to look to God. All right, so then that gets us to the digging deeper section. Uh, Reverend Derek brings up Psalm 23, where he says, "Surely the presence, or surely, uh, let me read this. Psalm 23:6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever." Um, it says this final petition is an excellent place for us to begin to understand the presence of God 
and how we are to testify to his goodness. Uh, so that's on page 53, top, top line. Um, again, the dedicatory prayer and then scriptures talk about how the nations will come to Jerusalem, will come to the temple to seek God and all those things. So um, you kind of from the get-go, we kind of mess that up. Where the Hebrews and the Jewish folks, you know, that was their sense of identity or whatnot. And, uh, and they, you know, they were jealous and didn't want other people really necessarily messing with their boat, just like the church today. Um, we, we have to protect it from, you know, people who might want to come in, being sarcastic. Um, but it was a place for all nations to know. And it was, a, it was a temple and a promised land, and there was a promised presence of God. Uh, if you fast forward, obviously the, the Hebrews, the Jewish folks, were unfaithful. And so in 597, that was destroyed, right? Uh, so this temple was beautiful for its time. Because of unfaithfulness, God allowed it to be um, destroyed. Uh, so the problem, though, with a symbol is that it can be corrupted and used for nefarious purposes, right? So like I was saying, the Hebrews kind of, the Jewish folks maybe misunderstood a little bit that the temple was to be an outward-focused thing, bringing all nations in. Um, but like I said, we're humans, and, and we, we mess that up. So you fast-forward then to Jesus. This is where... Uh, Jesus goes into the temple in Jerusalem. Again, a, a promised place and a promised presence of God. He goes and he sees the absolute corruption, the politics, the abusing of, of authority that's happening in the temple. And of course, he gets angry. And anyway, uh, Jesus says, you know, you've made this a den of robbers. And that's, that's obviously uh, not the goal. So one of my favorite stories that has, man, I remember the first time I heard it and I thought, wow, that's deep, is the widow's mite. It, this widow, no money, is going into the temple and she throws her last coin. Nobody even notices her. But Jesus is at the temple and he says, I've never seen such great faith. Here's, what, here's why that story has impacted me. That you had this temple that was beautiful, the second temple. First one destroyed, this was the second temple. There's this destitute woman that has absolutely nothing. And then there's this system of religion that is taking her very last penny from her. And one, nobody notices. But two, what's she going to do after she leaves the temple? And I thought... I remember finding that in Bible college and I remember praying a prayer just saying, Lord, let me be able to see people. Like, I want faithfulness, but I don't want people to be on the street just to give me a salary. And I don't want to be that kind of person. And so I think Jesus' comment was both a compliment to the widow, but it was also a condemnation to the, to the temple and its practices that could take, you know, and he'll say later, Jesus will say later in, in some of the other teachings, that ravaged the widows and the poor. And this is exactly what it's saying. It's The temple at that time was extracting absolutely everything that it could to keep the system going. The poor that it's called to serve, they're taking their last dime, right? And and so anyway, think about that for a little bit. Um, so anyway, Jesus calls this a den of robbers. 
And he says, you know, they get mad at him and he says, look, you destroy this temple, it'll be rebuilt in three days. Pharisees don't have a clue what's going on. Disciples don't really have a clue what's going on. But what Jesus was doing is saying, this temple is equal to me, is equal to my body. So the three days then is, you know, the death of Christ. He's risen from the dead. He goes, he ascends, you know, later on. And then the Holy Spirit is given to us. And the Holy Spirit resides in us. Therefore, as Peter says, we become living stones being built into a spiritual house, a spiritual temple, a holy priesthood, a royal nation, whatever it may be. Literally, if we see ourselves as living stones, living bricks, by which God is building the temple all across the world, the presence of God lives in us by the Holy Spirit, ministers to the world through our hands and feet. We bring the gospel. We bring the presence of Christ. We are this spiritual temple now. Um, so we are the ultimate fulfillment. We as the church, not you as an individual, but we as the church uh, become the spiritual temple in which God's presence resides in the world. In some sense, um, we are, um, and this is part of the learning from the scripture of the church. We'll go to that. In a lot of ways, you go Garden of Eden, Tabernacle, Temple, Jesus, Church, Individuals right, that make up the church. You've heard that prayer from maybe St. Teresa Avila. Christ has no hands and feet now but ours, no eyes to which to see the world, uh, no, you know, whatever that, but we are the temple. Um, we are uh, very much like a tabernacle awaiting the promised land, right? And we're supposed to be attentive to the work like again, we're re we're recreated, and in some sense, we take up the Adam and Eve um, typology. God is our God; we're the temple, and then we have the work that we're supposed to do—the work of Adam and Eve to flourish, to fill the earth, to you know do what we're supposed to do. In some sense, we're the priests. So when you see the instructions of the priest in First Kings, that's what we're supposed to do. This is our calling, our main calling. Where we do it, obviously, is different, but anyway. Uh, just to bring this into uh, Cumberland Presbyterian land, um, Confession of Faith, section 5.05, .05 says this, The church is apostolic because God calls her into being through the proclamation of the gospel, first entrusted to the apostles. The church, thus, is built on the apostolic message, which is faithfully proclaimed by messengers who follow in the footsteps of the apostles. And then 5.09, the church and the world never exist for herself alone, but to glorify God and work for reconciliation through Christ. Christ claims the church and gives her the word and sacraments in order to bring God's grace and judgment to persons. All right, so I'm going to play about a four-minute clip of uh, Derek Jacks, the interview I had with him, and hopefully you'll be able to hear this really well. Um, so then I'll go over here on lesson nine would be Solomon. I've called it Solomon to the divided kingdom, but really we're focusing on the temple. Um, and like, I think what I got from your lesson when I read through it is it's just the, in the, in the way that God came down to dwell in the temple. So then we become as our, ourselves, we have 
the Holy Spirit lives with us and we become a temple as a church. And instead of people coming to us, we're in flesh, you know, we have the spirit within us and we go out. And so it's this, you know, in the Old Testament, there's this coming to, but in the New Testament, then we have the the fulfillment of that. And then the church goes out and is the presence of God. So um, go ahead and tell us a little bit there about your lesson number nine there. Yeah, I think the, the thoughts that are in, in my mind with, with that are, one, you see um, how, and I was talking with uh, our confirmation class this past Sunday, and we were talking about church, and what where is the foundation for church, and, and you know, one of the th- images that I, that I had was the temple, about how it was a place where people went to hear um, the word of God. Uh, in the public assembly and in how in the synagogues, how life kind of revolved around those places. Um, but how Jesus would break that up and, and say, it's not the building. So in our, it was our first lesson about uh, church membership. And so the question that before the kids were, what's the church? Is it a building or is it a people? And no, the answer is, it's the people, right? Um, building is just a place where we go so we can do this stuff right. uh, that's not the church the church is the people and how jesus even embodies this this idea of how the temple is not something that is built with human hands but it's it's his body and um you think about david and how though 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 he was not disqualified from fellowship with god he was disqualified from building that temple uh, and that had to break his heart uh, in thinking about it. But then to see that Solomon builds the temple, um, that's, that's not the, you know, and you think you see what all he puts into it. Um, and uh, you, you think, well, certainly this, this presence of God is not going to be uh the, the the pinnacle of it is going to be this building right. and that's not what it is it's it's within the, the, the heart and you see from that point what you see is once that temple is built what do you see the priests and the people that are there doing well they they they're misappropriating everything they're they're they are looking at the temple building as the most important thing when god by the time you get to the end of malachi you know god is livid because they've completely forgotten this is about being the present again the presence of god being with the people um and how jesus is that ever-present christ and that ever-present god uh who is there um with wherever it is that we go and so yeah i think um, thinking about our presence and taking that and taking it seriously, meaning that going back, wherever it is we are, we're in the presence of God. Uh, wherever it is that we go or whoever it is we talk to, we're in the presence of God and we're ambassadors of the presence. Okay, yeah. And
Sorry about that. Uh, I was muted. So, um, do well today. Um, preach, preach well this week. Preach with grace and the Holy Spirit. And we'll see you next week.